Marnie Frey was murdered sometime after August 30th, 1997, by Canada's notorious serial killer, Robert Willie Picton. And this is her daughter, mother, and father's story. Hello? Hi, Brittany. Thanks for being with me today. This is part two in the murder of Marnie Frey. Please go back and listen to episode seven, part one, to hear the beginning. Mourning the Murdered is a podcast I created because in 1999, a friend of mine was murdered. My name is Kelly, and I am your host. I saw the effects that murder have on family members, and I wanted to give a voice to the loved ones of murdered victims. Every week, I interview the family member of a murder victim. So please be sure to tune in every Thursday to hear their stories on Morning the Murdered podcast. Marnie Frey was murdered by Canada's notorious serial killer, Robert Willie Picton. What the family had to live through was tragic. Last week, Marnie's daughter Brittany told us about growing up thinking Marnie was her sister, as Marnie's parents decided it best to take Brittany into their care due to Marnie's difficulties at the time of her birth. Marnie's grandparents were known to Brittany as mom and dad, and still are. Brittany told us about being bullied and all the emotions that go along with that. Her mother going missing when she was but a wee child of five years old, and then knowing about her mother's death at only 10. Growing through her teen years, going to court, and learning of the details that are so disturbing, I don't even know how she endured it. Picton was charged and convicted in the murder of 26 women, even though he admitted to 49. The police had decided to treat these women as disposable and not take their family concerns that they were missing seriously. Marnie had originally fallen prey to a gang's influence in high school, poor sweet girl, and began using drugs, soon becoming addicted and turning to the sex trade on Vancouver streets to fuel her addiction. Let us now continue where we left off last week. I sat every day in that courtroom and listened to the stuff they said. Five plus years. And I was a little kid and I, I had to listen. It was my choice, right? I didn't have to. I, ch I chose to listen. How old were you when you started going to court to watch the proceedings? 14. Okay. 13 or 14. My parents didn't let me go when I was super young. When I was in middle school, that's when it started to come to light. And, uh, well, it, I mean, it, no, that's not true. Because it was, when I was little, it, they were dealing with it still. It was just, it was more light for me. So I started to hear more things that, like, what happened to the women and stuff. And my parents knew they couldn't really protect me from it anymore. So they gave me the like the choice right like either you don't have to listen to these things or you can come and they made me aware of the victim services and my lawyer were like like the stuff you hear is not going to be nice just so you know and it can mentally screw somebody up which it did and I, I don't regret it but like maybe it wasn't a good idea but I know my parents 
they just wanted the best for me and they wanted me to get answers if that's you under if you understand what I'm saying I completely understand you get to an age where you understand what's happening when you're little you don't really get it but as you're getting older you're hearing things and you're sort of knowing what's going on and it's better to just be right there and hear it and that's what it was I I just wanted to hear it for myself instead of from everybody else and I totally get that now you say it screwed you up in what way do you feel that it did and what did you did you get counseling and stuff or I get I did get counseling I still have counseling for like the rest of my life right and my 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 daughter actually has free counseling too like my family oh really but uh it was just mentally mentally and emotionally like the stuff that I heard was not it wasn't sugar-coated right like it was it wasn't a good place and like the women there I I can't even imagine the stuff they went through because it is just it's something you read out of a book or a movie you know what I mean like you know like I know that it happened and I get it and like I'm 27 now and I, I you know what I mean like I know it happened but to me it still gets a dream like, I still like can't believe that 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 was my mom that that happened to me you know what I mean and like more people are like now they're like I've there's people that have read about me my whole life you know what I mean like know everything about me they've read the transcripts from court they just know everything and it's just crazy how open and it's out there and like how serious it was because it still doesn't really click into my head you get what I'm saying I totally get it it's it's like you said it is out of a movie unfortunately so for it to be real it it's, must be very incomprehensible for you because now I, I, I'm educated right I know you know what I mean what people so when people try and fight me on it I know like, I know what happened. I know, you know what I mean? Like, I get it. Yes, absolutely. So tell me that, oh, no, this is what happened. You don't know mm-hmm. what you're talking about. No, I do. I sat in that courtroom for five plus years listening to every detail. Sick. Oh, it must have been sick. I, I can't even imagine. It must have, that's why I'm saying it must have been very challenging for you to hear, but at least you knew what was really happening and you didn't just have to listen to rumors and... the bullies and you know they found dismembered heads in the freezer hands just yeah it's way too disturbing oh yeah like the deepest and darkest things you could ever think of that happened on that farm living through a childhood shadowed by the challenges of her mother's life being bullied Having a family split between loving, wonderful and kind, or dismissive, judgmental and intolerant, and listening to all of the horrors her mother suffered at the farm where she was eventually murdered had an impact on this little girl. I actually fell into addiction too, so I was doing drugs, yeah. I hadn't ever touched them because I knew what they did. I seen all my friends and my family and my mom lo- like lose their lives, right? Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I unfortunately had gotten with a guy that wasn't the greatest, and he was supposed to be my best friend. Oh my goodness! They were supposed to be my best friends. It wasn't just one; it was a few people, right? Right. So we're all in my room, and like I had been drinking the night before, which is perfectly fine and I was hung over and I was like oh I feel like shit and they made a joke 
and they're like, oh, oh, this will make you feel better because they did do it around me and I didn't, he was my boyfriend at the time. So like, I just, I loved him no matter what. So like if I had to have him doing it with, in my, like, you know what I mean? At my house. So I knew he was okay. So be it. Right. Mm -hmm. But that was wrong on me. I shouldn't have enabled it. I should have told his parents, like I should have, you know what I mean? But I, I, I didn't. And just like that, I was, well, I get it. I was like, well, I want to do it more. They're like, no, no, you can do it once and you won't want it again. So I did it. And that was the biggest lie I've ever heard in my life. Because oh I wanted it again and again and again. Yeah. And I lost everything. And when you're young, I you... out of my parents. Oh, boy. I was sleeping in a truck. Oh, my. At Walmart parking lot with my boyfriend. Stealing food to get to be fed, like to eat. That is so scary. I'm glad that you're mm -hmm. safe and sound today, that's for sure. And he was already in addiction, and I, I loved him no matter what. I get, like I thought it was love. And I, I tried it. I tried heroin, and it was literally like I had never... It, it felt like I had done it before. Like it was just... It took all my pain away. Mm. Everything. I didn't feel anything. I was in live addiction for four years and I moved to Grand Prairie where I am now on November 16th, 2017. I have been sober since then and I haven't touched drugs, alcohol or anything. I got pregnant, had a daughter and I am almost off methadone too. Well, a huge congratulations to you. Huge congratulations. That is yeah. something to be so proud of. My goodness. Yeah, it feels good. No kidding. I didn't think I was going to get out of it. Oh. I honestly thought that I was gone. It was hard to watching how, of course, like, you know, my parents lost their daughter, and that's the last thing they want to see is me, right. and it right, her daughter, and I was losing my parents, and they were losing me. I looked at myself in the mirror and I talked to my auntie and I was disgusted with the way I looked, felt. So I got a hold of my auntie and she's like, you can come live here. And now I'm doing amazing. I have a beautiful home. I have a daughter. I'm with the father of my daughter. And yeah. That is fantastic. Life couldn't be any better. Well, look at that. You see that? Oh, that makes me so happy to hear that you're feeling better about yourself. That is really good. So the best thing you could have done was get out of that town. That's for sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm never going back. I go to visit. It took a while to get to like feel okay to go. And even when I went, I still wasn't okay. Like I had to stay with my best friend, Randy, because when it wasn't my parents, right? Like not at all. Like, but when I showed up to my house, it was literally like, I just couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. Right. So all those old feelings just come back overwhelmingly yeah. and uh, sensory overload for you. I just called my friend Randy and I was like, can you please pick me up? And she was at my house in like 10 minutes. Oh, well, and that's I stayed good. with her the whole time. And the end that you... And now every time I go there, I stay with her. Oh, good. Well, lucky, lucky for you that you have a good friend like that. My best friend. Oh well, that's great. I'm happy to hear that. And was she? Have how long have you been friends with her for? Uh, holy moly! <laughs> since elementary school, we've known each other, but we've been best friends since grade nine. I've had five friends that have had my back 
through everything. Okay. Addiction, being bullied, who've had my back through everything, and that is Randy, AJ, Mandy, Melissa, Harris, and Melissa Boyd. Well, I'm sure... And now I have a friend here, Sarah, who's my friend. I only have one friend in Grand Prairie. Okay, well, one's better than none, right? Right. You know, well, it's a start. And you know what? One true good friend who's a good person is better than 10 friends that aren't good for you. So, Right. Yeah, it's true. I have the best, uh, best girl squad ever I could ever ask for. Well, that is great. But what can you say to people that are listening that might be thinking of trying drugs or struggling with a drug addiction? Do you have any advice? Don't, don't, don't. don't. It's not worth it. You mm -hmm. will lose everything almost all my friends all my family everything and like I was a good kid like a really good kid I did everything right I tried to do school right one mistake that's all I made one time and I lost everything I'm in debt still to this day I owe like 40 grand you know what I mean like I I can't work at the moment because I'm like mentally unstable in my head like, I feel like if I go to work, people are constantly judging me because I've been bullied my whole life. I just, I constantly feel out of place. That's how I felt. Mm -hmm. So if you want to do drugs, it's not worth it. You will lose your family, you'll lose your friends, and you'll lose yourself, most of all. Picton, also known as the Pig Farmer Killer, confessed to 49 murders to an undercover agent posing as his cellmate. 49! Can you even begin to understand that number? How many serial killers have actually killed 49 women? They know about 26 for sure. And even that number, 26? 26 women confirmed murdered by this psycho? After confessing to the 49, he said he wanted to kill another woman to be sure to make it an even 50. But that he got caught because he got sloppy. He is so disgusting, revolting, sickening. It's impossible to even begin to comprehend his crimes. He and his brother David owned a farm where they would host parties through a non-profit charity. They actually registered it and called it the Piggy Palace Good Time Society, where they would have parties bringing sex workers there hosted in the slaughterhouse. As many as 2,000 people would attend. Some would then be subjected to unimaginable tortures. After many families trying desperately to find their daughters and report them missing, after 31 women simply vanished from the streets of Vancouver, the police finally decided to start to take the complaints seriously. They finally got a search warrant for illegal firearms on the property and arrested both brothers. They next got a second search warrant using what they had seen on the property. Both brothers were released from jail for the firearms charges, but the disgusting serial killer was being watched at least now by the police. 
In 2002, five years after Marnie went missing, teams of people used soil sifters and excavators to dig up the property searching for clues for women. The DNA tests that were performed found DNA all over the farm, in garbage cans and on Picton's clothes. Over 80 unidentified DNA samples of men and women were found as well. 80 unidentified. Many of these likely account for the other 23 women Picton has admitted to murdering but was never charged with because they were never identified. Our society is often under the impression that someone who is a drug addict or works in the sex trade is less than. Well, those people are wrong. They are not less than. They have just lost their bearings, gone astray, become addicted. Addiction is when the body or mind badly wants or needs something in order to work right. Addiction is a chronic relapsing brain disease defined by a physical and psychological dependence. Unfortunately, in families who have beliefs like this and decide to no longer have communication with their struggling family member, or the addict themselves can sometimes not want to communicate with their families anymore for many reasons. They have, may have been abused there, or they may feel shame or embarrassment and feel it is just better or easier to stay away. Well, these are the lost women, the unidentified women, and men as well. The ones that were never reported missing. The families had lost touch, and therefore the dead women and men's DNA can't be associated with anyone and will likely forever remain Jane and John Doe's. This story is just so disturbing. The teams of searchers found human skulls cut in half with hands and feet stuffed inside them. Human jawbones and teeth were found by the slaughterhouse. Marnie Frey's jawbone was used to identify her through DNA. In court, an associate of Picton's told of how Picton said that he would bleed and gut some of his victims before feeding them to his pigs. He is such a villain, a true life evil doer. The police explained to the public how he ground up his victims, these women, and mixed this ground human meat with his pork and sold it to the public. Talk about mind-blowing. Good heavens! How do you absorb these sordid details? How? And for the families? What dire circumstances to learn what happened to your loved one? It really can't get much worse than this case. He was charged with the first degree murder of 27 women. One case was dropped and the rest split into two groups. 
The judge did not want to overwhelm the jury, so he set six cases of first-degree murder to be tried first. First-degree murder. But Picton was found guilty of second-degree murder. Second-degree? How is that even possible? Such a miscarriage of justice, I am literally shaking my head at that. He was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for 25 years, the longest possible under Canadian law at that time. But only 25 years? My goodness. He is in a prison in Quebec and is eligible for parole in 2032. In March 1997, before Marnie was murdered, Picton was charged with attempted murder after he stabbed a sex worker, but she escaped. After arriving at the farm, they had sex, and then she was handcuffed and stabbed in her abdomen. But she was able to grab the knife away from this deranged maniac and stabbed him and broke free. Both of them had to be treated for their stab wounds and were at the same hospital. The nurses there found the key to the handcuffs that were still on the victim's wrist in Picton's pocket. However, even with how clear it was what happened, the charges were dropped. Because the victim used drugs, the police did not feel she was a viable witness. Dropped? What? Good grief! How horrifying for this poor woman. Such a travesty as well, because this woman was going through a difficult time and had an addiction. She was discarded and not treated as others would be, as a human being. And what a terrible thought for all of the families of victims that were murdered after this woman escaped. Picton should have been jailed for attempted murder at this point. Locked away, saving women, saving Marnie. Eventually, when they pulled Picton's clothing out of an evidence locker years later from that date, when he attempted to murder a woman, they found two of the other missing women's DNA on her clothing. It is just never ending this case. So you know how he, there was that altercation where he stabbed that girl and she stabbed him? If he went to jail for that, my mom would be alive to this day. Oh my goodness. Brittany, along with other families, sued the city of Vancouver on behalf of its police department, the BC government on behalf of the RCMP and the criminal justice branch, Robert Picton, his brother David, and several individual police officers. Brittany's was the ninth lawsuit filed after the report issued by the former Attorney General Wally Opel. His report on the missing women came out and concluded that blatant police failures triggered by systemic bias against the poor, vulnerable women of Vancouver's downtown east side allowed serial killer Robert Picton to evade arrest for years. Brittany's lawsuit said that the police failing to investigate the missing women and not having warned the women on the Vancouver streets 
contributed to the cause of death of her mother, Marnie. Word of mouth is such a powerful tool. So please help us to reach as many listeners as possible and tell a friend and let them know that we can be found on their favorite podcast platform. Also, don't forget to join our Facebook group, Morning the Murdered. I want to send a big thank you out there to all of our supporters. So, Jamin, thank you. You can donate to the Morning the Murdered podcast through Patreon or PayPal at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thanks so much for your generosity. And now back to the show. So I sued the Vancouver City Police for, oh my God, I don't know the actual term, so I'm not going to like, I don't want to get it wrong, right? Uh, but I, I sued them. I know my, mostly like it was my parents that helped me do stuff because I was under the age, right? Mm-hmm. But I won and I got, I got to give 50, well, I didn't get to give, I like, so they were only going to give the 12 people that had gotten charged, like he had been charged with the money mm-hmm. and so when they were going to give me the money and it was all over I said no and they said they're like why I was like well that's not fair I was like all those kids lost their parents like everybody lost somebody and you're just going to shun them out like you can't do that so I said e- that I didn't want the money so it was either me not get no money or we all get money right and that's because there were so many other people that they think were killed by Robert Picton, but they weren't, oh, he yeah. wasn't charged. So you were fighting for their kids as well. Yeah. That's amazing. Good for you. That's really, really, really amazing that you did that. Thanks. That's something to be very proud of, for sure, because most people would have just taken the check and left, but you stood there and you right? fought. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. You did a great thing. Of course, 100%. That's not right, though. Like, you know, these people just lost their family. Yes. I get some of those kids probably didn't even get really meet their parents. Like, me, right? Like, I remember my mom a little bit, but not a lot. And that's what I struggle with the most. I'll never get to know my mom's voice. I won't ever get to know what she smells like. She'll never get to meet her granddaughter. Yes. And he took that away from me. Mm. for what (laughs) oh my I remember going to court and like I would be going like walking in or I'd come out right from like hearing stuff and I'd want to be alone and I'd sit there by myself and they would literally just put the camera in my face how do you feel about this and you were I was 13 (laughs) I was just gonna say and you were a teenager that my goodness no respect at all for you, for your privacy or no. for your age. But if my parents were beside me, they wouldn't do it. They'd mm-hmm. go to my parents and put the camera in my parents' face. But the moment I was alone, they were, hmm. yeah. And was, Some of them were really nice and they respected, you know what I mean? Like, right. they understood, they cared, they, they, they realized that something just happened that wasn't fucking normal. But there's always the trash journalists out there, right? I mean, you know. And it is. And it's, there's more of them than there is nice. Right. There's more evil people in this world than there is nice. Brittany spoke about how Robert Picton's brother, David Picton, knew about the women being brought to the farm, tortured, and murdered. 
but he did nothing about it. Yeah. I believe that there's more people there that killed other people, too. You do think that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It wasn't just him. It couldn't have been, like, I get that, you know, someone could have done that, but you know what I mean? Like, there's more to it. There's other people there. Like, I feel like, because, like, there's people that were high, high up there, and they talked about it in court that went there and that slept with these women and did vicious, vicious, cruel things to these women, treated them like animals, like they were nothing, scum on the, like, you know what I mean? And then went home to their family, to their wife and their kids. Oh my goodness. That must have been so hard to sit through for you. All those court hearings. Yeah, the stuff that I heard when I was in court was crazy. I just... No kidding. And it didn't, it didn't seem real. I bet, especially as a teenager. I, I agree. I think you needed to be there just to have some sort of understanding of what was happening, but it still must have been very hard. It was really hard, yeah. And your... I know people ask me too, they're like, do you regret it? And I'm like, no. Brittany is a woman now, a mom, and a very proud and happy one at that. It shows that life continues, and people move through it day by day. Brittany speaks about her role now as mommy. Been able to say, oh my goodness, since you're five and a half months old. Wow. Been able to say mom. That's exci- yeah. That's great. So she, you have a close bond with her. It sounds like you're very, very uh, close bond with your daughter. She's my best friend. Oh, that is so sweet. Yeah. And what do you like to do with her? We do, well, before the coronavirus, obviously, we'd go out. I'd always take her for, like, even though she's just like a little baby, we'd go to the mall and we'd go shopping oh. and we'd have lunch together and... <laughs> We go for walks, and now that we're all stuck in the house, we go for walks, and we're just doing lots of development stuff, right, Jenna? Trying to get her walking. So do you think that because of how, unfortunately, you grew up with your mother having been murdered and everything that surrounded that, do you, how do you think that'll impact your relationship with your daughter? Uh, I'm going to let her know, you know what I mean? I'm going to make her aware of the situation and everything, mm-hmm. and let her know what happened and that was her grandma and and all that stuff and then with the like internet and everybody being cruel and I will show her the tools right that she can use and hopefully kids aren't as mean as they were to me to her right all you can do is try and prepare that's it you're very happy and it sounds like you're in a great place so I'm super happy to hear that thank you and I am I'm in a very very good place That's great. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really do appreciate it. You're welcome. Don't be a stranger. You can call anytime. Fabulous. So have a great end to your day. Yes, you too. I hope that, uh, you know, your days are filled with happiness and that the coronavirus ends so you can get out and have some fun. (laughs) Yes, me too. Thank you. And I hope you have a great day. Well, thank you so much. I wish Brittany nothing but the best in life. She darn well deserves peace and happiness for the rest of hers. I next had the opportunity to speak with Marnie's parents. Her mother, Lynn, is a hero. A crusader, an advocate, a fighter, a warrior. She is one of the driving forces behind this nightmare of a person being brought to justice. And the end of the murders of who really knows 
How many women buy this turd? Hello. Hi, it's Kelly calling from Morning the Murdered podcast. Oh, hi, Kelly. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. You actually went to the farm. Yep, I did so. I climbed the fence. Wow. That Were you scared? <laughs> I mean, tell me about that. Not, not at all. I wasn't scared at all. I, I just knew something. I knew Marnie was there. And I just had this, you know, when you ever have a, a gut feeling something's happening mm. and you have to get there, that's exactly what I had. And I had been working, walking the streets of downtown Vancouver for many, many months. And, I'd, you know, I'd stay down in Vancouver at my sister's and my mom was um, ill with cancer at the time. So I'd look after my mom during the day. And because the prostitutes and more actions at night, I would leave my other sisters with my mom and I'd go to the downtown east side and look for Marnie and try to get clues on what they could be. Because the body just doesn't disappear. Come on. I mean, that's what the cops are saying. They didn't care because they were low-life people. They weren't society. They weren't from UBC or University of British Columbia or University of Alberta. They were people that lived on the streets. So they didn't mean nothing to the cops. They didn't give a shit. Mm. Easy expression. That's okay. It's so I kept, I kept looking and looking and looking. And then finally one of the girls, about eight months after me searching for Marnie, said, you're not, oh no, it was longer than eight months. It must have been a year and a half. Because she went missing in 97. And they didn't find her to 2002. That's when they broke the farm. So it was probably in 2000. I kept saying, nope, there, she's on this farm. No, no, there's no such thing as a farm. And no, I said, it's a pig farm. No, 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 there's no pig farm. You're, those girls are telling you stories because I asked the prostitutes. I started talking to them and asking them questions. Do you know? Because Marnie had a street name. Her name wasn't Marnie on the street. Her name was Kit, Kit Kat, actually, a, a chocolate bar, my favorite chocolate bar, which I can't eat now, thanks, Marnie. <laughs> um, she said, I have a, she called me every, if, if not every day, every second day, told me she was okay, where she was living, um, how's Brittany, how's dad, how's my brothers, we, you know, everybody's fine. And then we'd say, you know, come home, and no, I'm not ready, okay. So I didn't want to push the button. And then finally, I asked the girls, where's, have you seen Kit or Kit Kat? And they said, oh, no, we haven't seen her for a couple of weeks. Uh, I think she went to that farm. So what farm? Where's this farm? And they said, oh, you don't want to go there. They have pigs there, and they chop those people up and they feed them to the pigs and then they leave it's like well what the hell are you talking about chopping them up and so then the next day I'd ask them again the next morning you know, in the middle of the night and I was walking the beat they said oh it's uh, it's far away from here and it's a fast flowing river well the only because I grew up on the mainland which is New Westminster Coquitlam area um, I knew the only fast flowing river was the Muddy Fraser River which goes up to to Prince George and it doesn't get to Alberta but it goes up to the coast so I was like hmm okay so the only fast flowing river I know was the Muddy Fraser so we drove around Coquitlam New Westminster and then finally my foster sister said Lynn I know where there's a farm that has pigs and the guy there is really creepy I can take you there blindfolded so I said okay well I'll take you there and this is three o'clock in the morning oh. so we went there and I she wouldn't get out of the car but I did and um, she was a passenger, and I was the driver, so I parked my car, and I could hear dogs barking, but I didn't care. It was a really spooky area, and I had a really bad gut feeling that something nasty happened, always happening. And I could hear hammering, but I didn't know where it was. 
So I started to climb in the fence, and on the top of the fence, they had these little pegs that poke you. You know that if you, I don't know what you call them, a wire fence with little pegs on top. Barbed so wire, to get up, yeah. I, I started to get up to the top of that, and that's when the dogs heard me, I guess, and they ran over towards the fence, and they were barking. There was, there was two Rottweilers and two pit bulls. So I quickly turned around and got the hell off the fence and got in the car and drove away. So then I'd wait a couple more months to go back and do it all over again. I did that for a couple of years. And then finally, it broke that it was that fun that I had been going to all along. Rick was always available for his children and is a hardworking, productive member of society and also a hero. Working hard throughout all of the trials and tribulations his family had to deal with all of the stress and anxiety and utter agony and torment took a toll on all of them. Hello. Hi, Rick. It's Kelly from Morning the Murdered. How are you? Oh, fine. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for taking time to speak with me. I really, really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. In the middle of all of this, like, you know, uh, about six years ago or whatever it was, uh, Lynn was at work. She come home. She had days off, and, and and in the midst of all this stuff going on and whatever, and, and you gotta, you know that we're stressed out, right to the max. And and she's a busy little beaver, and she's doing this and there's care aid, and she's very conscious of of her work. She li- loves her work and the old people, and she had the two days off, uh, two days before Christmas, and she was baking some goodies with her her uh, girlfriend there and I was outside working and I uh, it was, it was snow fell or something and broke the fence and I went out and fixed it and I, I just got in and the other girl came over Rick Rick Lynn, Lynn needs a hand there's something wrong I don't know she I uh, thought oh god what she did she's always buzzing around and, and she wasn't in ill health or anything like that so I said oh what, what the hell she did she fall so I went in there there she was uh, collapsed on the floor curled up and uh, and I what, what and she's unconscious and she took one last gasp oh. and I didn't know what I didn't I didn't know that she was having a heart attack. I was farthest thing from my mind, but I you know I, I dropped to my knees. I gave her uh, four or five quick breaths and I started doing CPR and I broke her ribs right away. But I kept it up as they've called nine one one and I kept it up and. And I don't know how long I was doing it until somebody was tapping me on the shoulder as a paramedic, put the paddles on her to kick her back to, you know, get the beat going again. And they had a very weak pulse, so we, away we went to the hospital. And, uh, and then the doctor, after running all kinds of uh, blood, you know, uh, clotting and stuff, it'll get rid of the blood clots, going to doing all that. And then he... Um, he, he came to me and said, I don't know if she, she's going down. She's not, I don't think she's going to make it. They put her in an induced coma. So that was the first night. So I stayed there till early, you know, till past daylight in the morning. And they said, you might as well go home. And, and she's okay here, you know. The next morning, the same kind of thing at the same time, because I'm an early bird. I, I went down there and he says, oh, you come to see Lynn? I says, yes. And so she's over here, and I'm, you know, she's got the respirator on. She's still in an induced coma. So I went over there, and I, I sat with her and, and held her hand type of thing. And, and um, I looked down. <laughs> this is corny. But I, I looked down, and, uh, and she didn't have her socks on. I said, she hasn't got her socks on. She usually, she, when she goes to bed, she's got to have her socks on. That's her thing. 
So I, I got up, I went home, it wasn't too far away, went home and got a nice warm pair of socks, come back, put it on, on her feet there. And, and the nurses, said, oh, are you ever, you know, that's, that's you know, mm-hmm. and they, they got a little, you know, teary-eyed there. But anyway, I, that was the second day. And then, the, and then the third day I went in, I walked, you know, I come to see Lynn. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going in and I'm walking over towards her. And the nurse says, Lynn, Ann, wake up. Somebody's here to see you. Well, she woke woke up, and and uh, she looked at me, and she had her arms out, you know, to grab me, mm-hmm. and nobody told me that she was, they had brought her out of the coma, <gasps> that she was awake, and I just about died right there. I, oh, shit. Mm. You know, she's awake. You know, I, Yes. Must have made you feel so good to see that oh. she was awake. What a yeah. what a moment! Yeah, I'm, and after I'm a few a days, yeah, thinking about it, it, it's, it was very emotional. Right? So just something that it's just unbelievable. And so <laughs> this was all during this crappy time going on and <laughs> trying to get answers and do this and fight that. So you know, since 1997, since our daughter went missing, till now, you know, that's a long, long time. That's that's it, a it, very long time. Absolutely, it, it's just it's just been horrific. Eh? It's just been when she come out of the surgery and then the doctor come up. Oh yeah, she's fine to go and she talked. Yeah, she's good now. And I guess that's old hat to these doctors. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well I'll tell you what. I think I think I can get the ambulance up and um, uh, we'll send her up <laughs> home here to Calma River, which is like hundred and something miles up the road. Uh, or no, about two hundred, I guess. We'll send her up there, and then it'll be easy for you, you know, back and forth and stuff like that. And so, okay, so I waited, and, and, uh, and nothing came. So I was going to go get a couple hours sleep at my uh, my nephew's there in, in Victoria before we had to go. And uh, I just got out of the parking lot, and the, the nurse was, Rick, they're loading her in the ambulance. She's on her way to Camel River. And I said, great. So I turned right and headed up to Camel River, and she was somewhere around me in the same place going up by the ambulance and that was New Year's Eve. Oh. Yeah. That is so nice. About two weeks after I got her home I get a phone call from the ambulance service. Uh, Rick, yeah, we're wondering if you would accept an award. An award? For for what? Well, for um, saving saving a life. I said, well, my wife, of course they would. I guess that's, that's pretty tacky. I couldn't do that. That's, how are you going to accept an award for doing something like that? No, it, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a, an award, and it just shows people that, you know, the first responders, they have, like, it, it's a, f- a fantastic 80% better chance of surviving if there's somebody there with them when they have, a, you know, their uh, difficulty, you know, whatever it may be. And so I reluctantly said, yeah, okay. And, and I was awarded this beautiful uh, medallion in a, in a, a court's um, a case, this beautiful case saying that Rick Ray saved a life and blah, blah, blah. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah, you know, that is fantastic. <laughs> and that's something to be very proud of. And you know when they gave it to me? When? On Valentine's Day, Heart Day. Oh, <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. You came home on New Year's and you got an award on Valentine's Day. That's that's amazing. <laughs> you couldn't even write a script any better than that one, eh? You could not. Absolutely not. Wow. And imagine all the stresses that you've lived through. Oh, I'm sure did not help. One right after another. Uh, bang, 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 bang. Oh. You know, and when, when I forgot to mention, like when 
dismissing women who were out and they were looking, looking, looking. I was, of course, out fishing and I, I traveled the BC coast. So while I happened to be up in, uh, the border between Alaska and, uh, Canada up in the Nass River and you set your net out and here I am. I'm by myself. You set your net out and you're hanging off the end of the net looking out. And then all of a sudden tears will just well down your face because you're, you, you know, you know, you're, you're thinking what's going on, my daughter, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And then coming in, uh, well, it's heading into Prince Rupert, like at the end of the week. And, uh, then I get a phone call about, you know, uh, some news on, uh, the missing, missing women and, you know, uh, something's been found and stuff. So now you don't know, they don't tell you who's found or whatever. But it's something. So now again, here comes the tears again, and you know, and and all my buddies that are traveling, like a, we travel in a group, they that call me, and I yeah, I just can't like talk. You know, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. I'm just. How much of Lynn's investigation do you think helped crack this case or help move things along? Oh, I think it that was. Uh, I think it was, you know, not not to beat her drum. I think she was the one that actually push him on to it that you know the, the Picton thing like her uh, foster sister is the one that knew it was that was Picton's farm and they went there you know Lynn did tell them and they kind of scoffed at her it's oh. gory 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 stuff yes and people say how can you how can you talk about how can you even talk about it? well how can you not talk about it that's right you 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 it's the hardest thing and and um when they did that ban on the uh, uh, publication ban that uh, they didn't want to have any, any evidence come out and they, you weren't allowed to say anything to the to the public and you, know, you people, the reporters, weren't allowed to say anything. And, and they asked me about it and I said, it's bullshit. I think the public has every right to know what the hell is going on at every minute of this trial. They have every right to know what's going on. Who? What are we hiding from? Exactly. I will continue next week with the conclusion to my interviews with the Free family. But there is no conclusion to all of the suffering for them, as they will forever have to live with the sadness of their daughter no longer being here, making their days happier with her beautiful smile and loving, tender ways. Marnie is missed and remembered. Tune in next Thursday for part three of the murder of Marnie Frey. Being a new podcaster, it's really helpful when you can find someone with experience to answer some questions. I found that in Cambo from True Crime Island, and I really appreciate all his help. So thanks a lot, Cambo. And please stay tuned at the end of our episode to listen to his promo. I'm not quite sure how people move on after a tragedy. There are support groups online and face-to-face, and there are books and family and friends to lean on. But in reality, when someone loses a loved one to murder, they lose a piece of themselves that can never be returned. Memories are all that are left. So talk about your loved one and let the world know how important they will be to you forever. These memories become valuable treasures. No one will ever understand your pain, 
but surround yourself with those that can understand how important it is for you to share your story. I will now light a candle for the victim and their loved ones, ensuring their memory lives on and burns brightly. You are remembered. I want to take a moment and extend my most sincere and humble gratitude to each and every one of you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, or if you would like your voice to be heard on Morning the Murdered and tell the story of your loved one, email me at morningthemurdered at gmail.com. That's M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G-T-H-E-M-U-R-D-E-R-E-D at gmail.com. Thank you to Dennis for editing this podcast. You are absolutely indispensable. Thank you so much. A huge shout out to Patrick for creating the original music that you hear. And the artwork for this podcast was created by Talia with support from Matt and Mick. Thanks so much, guys. host a true crime island podcast and now youtube channel do you get angry when you listen to true crime well so do i so grab a beer and pull up a deck chair and tune into true crime island and maintain the rage with me as i say what you're thinking search for true crime island on your favorite audio podcatcher and now with added video goodness on the true crime island youtube channel boom fuckalunga